Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast. Great to be with you today. My name is Matt Kinzera. With me, as always, is creative director of Celtic Way, Scott Jenkins. And Scott, today we're talking about thresholds, transitions, and Bridget, which we've been doing this podcast for a while now, friend, and this may be the most intriguing title that you've come up with to this point. <laughs> so you might have to cue me in on where we're going today. So I what's, what's the plan? Okay, I will. It has to do with relevance and how I see the world. Can you believe that we are entering the doorway of our third year of the pandemic? I don't think any of us thought we'd actually say that. I think probably everybody in the world thought it would be done by now. But yeah, right. it's crazy to think that we're entering the third year. Yeah. I definitely don't want to review all the details <laughs> of the last few years. Please, everybody will turn off the podcast. They will, yeah. That road. Right. But boy, I sure had some conversations about transitions and uh, thresholds. And Bridget, because it's February, that's her month, right? And so February 1st is her day. But a lot of us Celtic people, we do Bridget kind of all month long because she's she's a big personality and she has a lot a lot of things to give to us. I think some fun facts about Bridget, as factual as we get, you know. And when it comes to Bridget, who was a Celtic pagan goddess of high stature before she was Saint Bridget in the Catholic Church and so on, trying to figure out the idea of post enlightenment historical accuracy and the great, wonderful truth-telling of the mythology of the Celtic people is not something I want to waste my time (laughs) on. (laughs) So I just take it all in and benefit from the whole thing. Matt, are you familiar with the Celtic circle, the year? Yes, I believe you introduced that to me early on in our friendship. You showed me that. Yeah, good. So you passed the first test. (laughs) And so February 1st, roughly, because Celts didn't have like calendars, not everything fell exactly. But for argument's sake, the spring season of Imbolc, when the youth would start lactating and young life is being born, it's just the earliest days of the dawning of springtime. And it is said that on the night before Imbolc, which is really the day of Imbolc since they started at sundown, this is Bridget's birthday. This is her day. It's a huge transition from winter, which symbolizes death, life-giving death, by the way, and moving into springtime. So it's really the movement from dark to light, from death to life. And it's on that cusp that Bridget is born. She is a woman of transition, and she is a woman of threshold. And it gets, it really gets convoluted now as the story develops, because her mother was Christian, but her father was a pagan chieftain. So here again, we have a person who straddles both the old world and the new world, the old religion and the new religion, and her mother is very devout. So her mom's working, it's about time to give birth. She works uh, in the dairy, and she's coming out, I think, from milking the cows or churning butter or whatever, and she's dragging this big pail of butter and milk, and 
she is literally in the doorway from coming outside into the doorway of the deer. And tradition tells us that it was in that, on that doorway, in the doorway, however you want to look at it, that Bridget is born right then and there. So here the story, you know, is just weaving with all this wonderful mythology and symbolism. And Bridget is born in the doorway, on the threshold, from the outdoors into the dairy. And the dairy and butter and milk are going to be attached to this woman for the rest of her life. And so she is born in this imaginal place, what some people call this thin place. And this is why one of the reasons why she's such a big personality has to do with the date, the time, the place, her parents of this whole birth. And she has always been, before Christianity and afterwards, this powerful woman figure that people for centuries have taken with them as they've journeyed through their own transitions, as whole villages and tribes have stood on the threshold, maybe of a major war, maybe on a famine, maybe on the changing of seasons, Bridget is called upon to stand with them because she invokes a great deal of power as somebody who is with them, even beyond the grave. This imaginal world suggests sort of this boundary the Islamic people really gave us this wonderful definition of the word imagination. It means literally perception through the inner eye. And it's not a mental reflection. It's not thought out analytically, and it's definitely not a fantasy, something that we just make up. The threshold experiences that are written about in ancient Celtic literature are very real. And they can be quite a mixture. People, when they first have them, can be deeply confused at first. They can be excited. They can experience standing on the threshold of a testing of their character. Do you know who you are? Can you take who you are with you into whatever it is that's lying ahead? And it can be frustrating, and it can be challenging. The imaginal world is this region between... I think how I think of it is a between the material, concrete world and the spiritual world. Do you read Christine Walters, Paintner? Do you know that name? I do not. She says that the other world is not an archetypal produced by the unconscious mind, nor is it a product of fictional imagination. It is a dimension of reality that exists within the world, with the soul, and the inner dimension of one's self. This is the thing that I love about Celtic Christianity. We don't have to defend and explain. We don't have to analyze or overreact. We just have to open up the deepest part of who we really are to find our way through this world. So here I am at this Irish pub in Denver called the Three Kilts, off the beaten path. And we're sitting around, of course, drinking some Guinness and having some shepherd's pie. And the conversation is around the 20 and 30-year-olds, as well as the 60 and 70-year-olds, is like, what's next? Where is this world heading? Of course, the whole conversation around is this damn pandemic ever going to end? You know, that's one thing. We've got enough ecological crisis. And by the way, there's this whole thing on the border of Ukraine right now, which is not good. And then there is the whole upheaval. I didn't really realize 
that young adults were really experiencing this thing about vocation, about college. Should I really, I mean, should I really go to college? Does it really pay off? And, and could I do something else? I think that's not new for this generation, but it seems like it has a fire to it that I haven't quite heard before. I spend a fair amount of time with young people and I have young people of my own at home, right. teenagers. And I would agree with you. I feel like the conversation about what you just shared has been going on for a while, but it seems as if the reality of it has heightened a great deal. It's rare when I talk to a young person, a teenager later on in high school or even early college age, where they have a sense of even what they think they're going to do with life and which then makes, do I spend this money on college a, a big question as well. And I think even people in my generation, you know, thirties, forties, a lot of people went to college and got a degree and really didn't stick with it. So I think we were kind of the beginning of that trend. And now we have young people who saw that, who saw their parents not use their degrees and now are questioning, well, is this something I should do or not? So yeah, it's definitely a, a reality. It's definitely a transition that we're going through. It certainly is. And I'm learning, I'm probably learning as much or more than they are. But the question arose is like, Father Scott, just come on, tell us now, help us find Celtic Christianity's relevancy to all of this stuff. And I said, you know, all I can share with you is how I live and, and how I approach life. And before I could go on, thank God. So this one woman, Rosie, she says to me, I grew up in a Catholic household, pretty strict, you know, and all this stuff. And of course, rebelled against it. Haven't been back to church. She's, she says, I went to the big show once. I said, what, what is the big show? You know, where they had the rock band up on the stage. And then they have this really cool guy that comes out in jeans and his shirt and preaches this sermon, you know. And, and I said, what do you call it? She's the big show, you know. And I'm like, cool. She said, yeah, but I found my grandma's prayer book. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? She goes, yeah, I've been reading it. She goes, you know about the saints? I'm like, well, they don't call me Father Scott because I gave birth to all of you. I said, yeah, I know about it. But what's the point? She goes, there's a saint for like almost every season in life. Oh, yeah, I know. And she goes, yeah. And I was born on St. Mary Magdalene's feast day. I said, July 22nd. She goes, you know that. I'm like, yeah, like I said, I, yeah, I, yeah, I got this. And she's like, so who's the saint of standing in the doorway? And now everybody's intrigued because, see, she's young and she's bringing all this up and everybody's listening. So we began this conversation about flaming red-haired Bridget with the green eyes and, and power. And, and uh, Rosie tells me, yeah, and she, bu she built a monastery that housed both men and women. I'm like, that's true. That was in Kildare. And she goes, yeah. And she lit the fire. I'm like, yeah. And it never went out. Yeah. And she goes, did you know the fire is about transformation and change? I said, I did. Yeah. She goes, so I don't know a lot about Bridget, but I asked her to help me stand in the doorway because that's where she was born. So two of the guys, I'm looking at them and they're like, get their phone out. And I thought, what are you doing? They're taking notes. I was like, damn. They're like, yeah, we want to learn more about these saints and how to pray and how to trust. Because these are very uncertain times. We feel it. It dampens how we look at the future. 
it's a little scary out there, and it's hard to stay courageous and bold and faithful and trusting. I said, yeah. And there's a whole history. You see, the saints, it's a, it's a whole history of people who are like us, who've stood in the doorway of a very uncertain future, whether it was plague or famine or disease or earthquake or war. And they took one step at a time and, and followed to make their life happen and full and rich and not give in to the anxiety and everything that's happening around them. Yeah. I think there's so much truth when you talk about transition, you know, we talk about this a lot, Scott, about this transition, even of faith that's going on in our world. And it's fascinating that your friend called it the big show and things like that, because I think for a while there, a lot of people are really attracted to that, but then it seemed to as a whole, and I'm not generalizing everybody that practices their faith that way, but as a whole, I think it ended up coming across inauthentic and yeah. it came across, as she mentioned, as a big show. And I'm wondering if part of this desire, I know I feel it in my own life, part of this desire back toward the saints or toward the saints for the first time, or for my situation back toward my upbringing in Catholicism, some of that desire to go back there is to connect with something that feels much more real and authentic. And some, like when you talk about Bridget, I think so many of us can be listening and, and say, oh, I, I can relate to that, that, that description of Bridget. I, I feel like I can relate to that. Or, you know, St. Francis, I can, I can relate to that connection right. with nature or so many others. Right. And so I think there's this authenticity that was connected to their faith. And that's Celtic Christianity as a whole that yeah. maybe we're missing in our modern 21st century. Right. You know, so a lot of the people around the table, I don't think it's like there was eight or nine of us would pushed a couple tables together and having quite the time. So many times in, in certain, I'm going to just say this, in certain Christian religious group, we're constantly trying to find the truth that's based on a post-enlightenment way of epistemology of how do we know things scientifically, logically, whatever. And what I like about this group is that they understand that sometimes the enlightenment overreaches its power. It overreaches trying to tell us how we know things. So, for example, Curtis says at the table, there's a lot of fanciful stories, is what he calls them, about Bridget, right? She was the one who helped Mary's birth at the manger. Now, he's like, I know this isn't true, but if she helps be the bearer of Jesus' birth, that's also what she did in her life. You see, the myth, the legend, the tales have truth to them. And I was like, hallelujah, you got it. It doesn't have to be literal all the time. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And a lot of us, the reason we stopped going to church is because somebody really stood up at a microphone in the show and told us that the six days of creation were literally true in Genesis, and you had to believe that. And that's like, we all checked out. We were like, stop. But there's truth there, but it's not that kind of truth. Once you can cross over that bridge, it's not just the scriptures or the lives of the saints that open up to you. 
It's like all this stuff. We talk about God's presence in everything. It's the Islamic way of, of seeing, of perceiving through that eye to perceive past the literal, the surface, and into something broader and deeper. And boy, did we start getting momentum about faith and courage and feeling surrounded by God and not abandoned and not alone. And I'm just going to say this, and not irrelevant. That somehow the way of the Celtic people interpreting reality is the key to this whole thing about Celtic Christianity. Let's celebrate the magic of the Celtic Christianity, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's celebrate the presence. Let's celebrate the gifts. Isn't it amazing that in this group, it was the uncertainty that made them feel more connected. Whereas we as, you know, just, just as human beings, we always err towards certainty. But when we're talking about faith, that's not an actual possibility because we're talking about the great unknown, the great mystery. And so it is, I think, when we can allow ourselves to hold on to the lack of certainty as opposed right. to certainty. I tell you the funny thing. So all the younger people got to go, right? They have lives. <laughs> They're working, you know, and they got, oh, I'll see you guys, you know. So then there's the rest of us who are older. And for a while, it was just quiet around the table. And we're like, it took us all these years to reach the point where they are right now. Isn't that something? And we were just feeling good about the future and about them. And, and I, I hope there's a turn that's taking place, that people can trust and have faith and have confidence without certainty all the time. I think the life, the life of faith cannot be certain. They're a contradiction in and of themselves. And I think if there's a transition in honor of St. Bridget, if there's a transition that I hope to see in faith, it's a transition away from this idea of certainty altogether. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a great day. It's a great legacy that Bridget has left behind. Some more stories about Bridget than I could tell you, you know, and just wonderful gifts and who she was and what she meant. She was this matron saint of hospitality, you know, and she expressed it in many different ways, and she never turned anybody away. Christine Waltner's painter says that there is a sense, I love her language, there's a sense of lavish hospitality and generosity connected to the spirit of Bridget. I would love to have somebody put that on my tombstone. Many of the stories connected to her reflect the dignity of ordinary tasks, the churning of butter, the sharing of buttered bread and milk, especially things that took place in the home, day in and day out. There were no more divisions between what is worthy of grace and how grace is freely lavished upon everyone. I really do think Bridget is just one of the lights from the past that's relevant for our day today. Every generation, I would imagine, can tell you, boy, we stood on the threshold of not knowing and it was anxiety-producing. It was scary. We persevered with the help of those who've gone before us. And Bridget is one of those for us who's available today. I'd like to close by reading a blessing from and about Bridget, if I may. 
The blessings of Bridget be upon you. The healing heart of the saint be found within you. The challenge of her endless hospitality be your guide during the pandemic. In the love of the always present creator and sharing your footsteps with the sun in the inner movements of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To support the Celtic Way podcast, be sure to subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to become a sustaining member, please go to our website at www.celticway.org. Find us on Facebook at Celtic Way.